need another one. But God just continually, over and over, give your guitar to this guy. Give your guitar to this guy. And it was one of those moments where I heard God speak to me very, very clearly. Um, on the contrast, uh, the, the experience that Laura and I went, went through before we came to Minnesota, I was a youth pastor at a, a junior high youth pastor at a church, and I had quit. And we had gotten a, 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 an invitation to come out and interview for this job at the last church I was at. And we went back and forth and back and forth, you know, this and this and this. Do we go? Do we stay? Do we go? Do we stay? We have all these friends that we love so dearly, but do we go? And it was just like we were just clawing for anything to, to hang our hats on and for God to say something like, speak to us, please tell us. If you say go, we'll go. But it just was really, really not very clear. Have you guys ever had an experience like that before? Uh, one when you can think of when it's just dead clear where God says go and do this. And another where you're just kind of like seeking and trying to find God in the midst of that. I think there's times in our lives when we hear the voice of God very clearly. And then there's other times when it's very subtle and very quiet. Uh, uh, sometimes it's loud and unmistakable, crystal clear. And other times you feel like you're just kind of stumbling around in the dark. Um, I think if you were to look at the scriptures and you were to ask, what's the story, what's the underlying theme of this? Uh, it's essentially this, that we have a God who, you know, in and through Christ is calling a people out of the world or to be a people by faith in, uh, by faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And he's that, that he's now using this group of people he's calling out in the world to be ambassadors, to be outposts, to be people who tell the story of Jesus and what he's done. Um, He's calling anyone who will hear his voice, anyone who will he see God and hear God, to come and be a part of this. And to announce that God's kingdom is here and that something has changed in and through Jesus. Uh, in these last few weeks at Solstice, uh, I wanna, we want to explore this idea of being led by God. Uh, for those of you who, who haven't been here the last couple weeks, we made an announcement that we're planning to plant Solstice uh, at, at July, July 1st. And so we're going to meet through the month of June... And uh, so this is a big move. This is a big deal. And it's going to be called Awaken. So in these last couple of weeks, we want to explore how do we and what does it mean to listen to the voice of God? And to do so, uh, we're going to be in the book of Exodus to start here tonight. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. Exodus chapter 3. There are story, there, story after story after story of people who heard the voice of God in the scriptures. Oh, and by the way. BT dubs, uh, pause on the sermon thing. Uh, I lost my Bible. Did anybody pick up a black Bible last week and like inadvertently go home with my Bible? Anybody? I, I, won't, I won't be mad at you, I promise. But uh, it's my Bible, and I lost it. It's, <laughs> I want it back, and I cannot find it for anything. Uh, so if you happen to, and you don't want to say, oh yeah, it was me in the midst of a crowd, you can just come up to me later and say, I think it was me. Uh, so if you see a black Bible that's got all kinds of writing in it and my name in the front of it, you can return it to me. That'd be great. Um, so all throughout the scriptures, whether it's this Bible or my Bible, which is elsewhere somewhere, uh, you have a God who, who speaks and you have people who hear God's voice and some respond faithfully. Some respond with obedience. Some respond, uh, you know, moving towards God. And other times you get people who ignore it. You get people who run away with it. You get people who eventually get swallowed by a whale because they didn't listen. So in these next few weeks, we want to explore the journey of the Israelites and how they were led out of Egypt by God. And uh, I, I'm thinking, and I'm pretty confident that there are some places that we can apply some things. So we're going to start with Moses. 
uh, who, of course, is the leader of the Exodus, God calls him. So let me pray for us, and then uh, we're going to jump in in Exodus chapter 3. So would you pray with me? God, as we open your scriptures tonight, what you have given to us and revealed to us, um, this story of Moses meets us at a very particular place in our lives uh, as a community. Uh, we are in the midst of and on the brink of something very uh, different and something uh, that involves change. And so, God, we have uh, mixed feelings about this, uh, many of us. Uh, there's excitement, there's sadness, there's um, elation, and there's dread. Uh, but God, I pray that tonight as we look into your scriptures, as we uh, attempt to be the kinds of people who listen to you, who hear your voice, that you would in fact speak, that you would in fact be clear, and that God, you would give us the courage and uh, the ability to quiet our hearts enough to hear you, but then to respond and to be faithful to what you're calling us to do. Uh, we pray in your name and by the power of your spirit. Amen. So Exodus chapter 3, just a little background, certainly you know the story of the Exodus, uh, if you've been around church long enough, but you've got a group of people, the Hebrews, who have been taken captive, these are God's chosen people, if you start back in Abraham, Genesis 12, and you have this group of people who have been taken captive in Egypt, they have been slaves and have been worked to the bone by a guy named Pharaoh, of course, Moses is a guy who's out in the desert, God comes to him through the burning bush and says, Moses, I want you to go, uh, and in chapter 2, of this book, Exodus, we find um, we find Moses. He's actually with the or with the Israelites first. He kills one of the uh, the Pharaoh's uh, friends. I think it was his son or a nephew or something like that. Uh, and then he flees Egypt and he goes out of the out of Egypt to get away from Pharaoh. And this is where we find him. He's uh, tending sheep for his father-in-law Jethro. And this is where he sees uh, a burning bush. So we're in chapter three. It says this. Now. Moses was tending the flock uh, of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses Moses, which had to have been totally bizarre. And Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, Verse 7, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. And so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of, the, of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And verse 9, Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the, Israel, the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring the people, my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God tells Moses to go to Egypt. He tells him to lead his people out of Pharaoh's land and into this place that he's preparing for him or for them. How often have we heard God say something to us and we waffle? We hesitate. We don't, we're not sure. Is it really God? Is that him? Or is that just like something I ate last night? Uh, how can I be sure? Or I'm, I'm pretty sure that was God, but I really don't want to listen. And we waffle. We go back and forth. 
Of course, three weeks ago, I shared this news about Awaken. And I believe with everything that I've got, I believe with all of my heart that because of the process and the journey we have been through thus far, that whichever way you go, whichever way you go as it pertains to Awaken, whether you stay here, whether you come with us to start Awaken, whether you invest yourselves in another place, whichever way you go, I am convinced because of the journey we have been on thus far, that God is in this, that his spirit has led us, Laura and I, to this point. And I'm convinced that if you listen, God will say to you, here's where I want you to go. I believe that. And so, the question for us, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where faith meets our real life. This is where when when God says something, we have a choice as to whether or not we're going to obey Listen and do what he says. Thankfully, uh, Moses is no different than we are, and I think we can learn a lot from his response. But I'm guessing that if we have ears to hear and eyes to see, uh, we may be able to find ourselves in this story. So let's, look, let's take a look at, at Moses' response. Uh, verse 11, he responds with a bunch of different excuses. And so I want to look at these excuses that he responds with. Verse 11, his first excuse is this. Why don't you throw that first slide up there if you would. That's definitely not it. <laughs> he says, I'm a consuming fire. And I'm... No, he doesn't say that. He, says, uh, he basically says, I'm an inadequate as a person. So he says to God, verse 11, but Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? I can imagine, uh, oftentimes, I don't know about you, but this is two-dimensional, right? It's black and white. It's it's words on a page. Do you ever wonder like how it actually went down when it, when it really happened? So like God says to Moses, he shows up in a burning bush and he says, Moses, you're my guy. I want you to go into Egypt, one of the most powerful countries on the planet and one of the most powerful people. And you're supposed to walk up to Pharaoh, tell him uh, that you want, that God wants his people back and you're going to be my guy to lead him out of there. And Moses is like, who am I, right? God, in case you weren't there when you made me, um, I'm a shepherd. I, I work with sheep. Sheep are dumb. They're not the smartest people on the planet. They're not the smartest animals on the planet. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've got a little bit of a temper in case you weren't there the day I killed that guy. I'm sure you were. Uh, I'm a murderer. I'm 80 for crying out loud. I don't know what 80 looked like back then, but if it looks anything like now, I can imagine my grandpa, Charlie, Chaz, better known as, 80. Like, that's old, dude. Worst of all, Moses, I'm, I'm a, Moses is like, I'm living with my father-in-law. Come on, right? I'm 80 and I'm still living with my father-in-law. You could have picked a better dude. I just, I know there's somebody better out there. Who am I? Well, what's God's answer? Awesome, awesome. Verse 12 says this. I will be with you. Five words. I will be, I don't know what it is in Hebrew, but it's five in ours. Uh, I will be with you, God says. Five words that change the situation real fast. Because here's the thing. This is one of my favorite doctrines in all of the Bible. If you could talk about theology and use that kind of wording. Uh, this idea that God is Emmanuel. That he is the God who is with us. There's so. This is such a bizarre concept, especially in light of when this book was written and who it was written to. So you have to backtrack all the way to the, you know, before the calendar changed, right? We're talking the ancient Near East. And in the ancient Near East, the, the idea that there is a God 
who is somehow up there and concerned and actually intimately involved and wants to know and be a part of his creation is completely foreign and bizarre to the landscape of what people believed about God. This is uh, uh, the, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the whole Mesopotamia, that area. Nobody believed this about God. But God says to, Ab- uh, to Moses, I will be with you. And we get for the first time this sense of God, the creator, with his people. Totally mind-blowing, totally foreign concept. So God says to Moses, I will be with you. I remember um, when I was a youth pastor, uh, when you work with students, you have adults who help you with that task. And oftentimes you have to tap into adult leaders, which is a tricky thing because you're, you're the youth pastor and you've got parents who think you're responsible, which you hopefully are, and you have these people who are working with students. And so you're investing all this authority and um, you know, influence into these leaders who then work with kids. And so that's a big deal. Now, every now and again, you have, one, uh, you have a leader who maybe won't work out. And so as a young youth pastor... You're faced with a difficult challenge. You're, what, 20-something, and you have adults who are 40s, 50s. You know, they've got kids, older, the whole deal, and it's just not working out. And I remember one particular instance where I had to make a decision as a youth pastor. Do I ask this person to step aside? What do I do? Because uh, it's not good. It's not good. It's not a good thing. And so I I took the hard road, and I had a a difficult conversation with this leader, and I said, you know what, Um, I'm going to have to ask you to step down. And it was horrible. All of, like, the worst things you could imagine, you know, you imagine what, what the responses may be as you have to, you know, enter a conversation like this. And my character was attacked. Like, all of the ways in which I was uh, flawed as a youth pastor, all the things that I'm not good at were pointed out and said this, this, and this about you, and you're not good at this, and you don't do this, and you don't do that. And I remember very, very clearly in the midst of that, God saying to me, Micah, I'm with you. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I don't know about you, but when your inadequacies are pointed out, when your flaws are pointed out, when the ways that you don't measure up are pointed out, or you see them for what they are, our response is often to shrink back, to not move forward, to not maybe do what God is asking. And so I guess I want to ask you tonight, What are the excuses or what are the ways in which when God says go to you, that you say, oh, God, who am I? I'm not this or I'm not that or I've done this or I've done that or I can't do this or I can't do that. Because as we journey over the next few weeks, I'm convinced that God is going to say to you, here's where I want you to be. Here's where I'm leading you. God will say, go to you. And it may be into something that you're not sure about. It may be into something that you have fear, you know, related to. It may be something that you're a bit nervous about. And you may say, God, who am I? And start listing it off. But this is the God who says, Moses, I will be with you. Uh, Look at verses 13 to 15. Moses says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. Moses' second excuse is related to who God is. He doesn't really have an accurate picture of who this God is. 
uh, in the ancient Near East, the importance of a name was paramount. It was so important. Do you guys remember the story of the blind guy? Uh, or uh, was it, Yeah, I think it was Bartimaeus was his name. Do you remember that? That guy, he was blind. In, in, uh, in, in this culture, Bar meant son of, and Timaeus was his dad. So in the story, we get a guy who doesn't even have a name. He's just the son of this guy. Which, when you start reading the story under, you know, through that lens, it, makes, it takes it to a whole other level. When you look at a person, when someone comes up to you and, and they introduce themselves to you, they say their name. Because in a name is the very essence of who you are. It's, if you could take one word to identify who you are, it's your name. And so often, with your name is connected so much of who you are. The family that you come from, the story that you bear, the road that you've walked is all in a name. In fact, this idea of of a name was so important that within the rabbinic tradition, the rabbis, uh, the name of God was so precious. This whole idea of I am was so precious and and so uh, uh, important that they wouldn't even use it. Uh, so there was this time in history when they, they, would, they would just refer to it as the name. They wouldn't even say God's name. They would just say the name. So God says to Moses, tell them I am has sent you, which basically means to be. Like the essence of being, uh, that which is truly real, that which is uh, reality at its most raw, that which is, is has sent you. Everything you know to be true about reality and what you experience has come from this being. That's the being that has sent you. I am has sent you. My kids uh, love them. They're so fun. Uh, we're in a, a stage of life where we're 6, 3, and 2, and so it's constantly busy, busy, busy. And uh, if you've watched any of them around here, you know that uh, they are not very... Somebody once said to us, like, you know, some people have a couple, like maybe one child who's just like all the time 100 percent and then they have a few that are like more normal (laughs) they might say but you guys got three that are like all the time and we we love them they keep us on our toes and we celebrate you know the fact that they just live life to the full but uh they love to they're risk takers and i can i can um hadley my oldest i can remember this uh this season where she would just love to jump off of things so we've got like uh, 14 stairs or 13 stairs that go from our top, you know, story and a half down to the bottom. And so she would start at the first level and she'd jump and then she'd say, and she'd back up to the second one and she'd jump. And I'm not kidding you. She would just keep going until I told her, okay, stop, stop. This is not, this is not safe anymore. But she would just jump and jump and jump because she knew who was at the bottom. And I'd never dropped her. When I did, she never jumped. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just joking. I've never dropped her before. But she would just, she would just flail like from seven or eight steps up, you know, like 100%. And you know, I'm afraid she's going to clip the header uh, at the top of the door on their way down like a flying squirrel down the stairs. And I would catch her. Why? Because she knew who was at the bottom. Dad, who I trust and I would give everything to you she knew who i was moses says god who should i who who should i tell them sent me 
Moses has an inaccurate picture of who God is because when he finds out who God is or when God tells him who he is, it makes all the difference in the world. I'm wondering how often we forget who's at the bottom of the stairs, how often we forget. When God says go, and in whatever situation it might be, how often do we forget who it is that's sending us? This is the God who reveals himself to us in Jesus. This is the God who created the world. This is the God who spoke and things existed. This is the God who created everything. And when he speaks to you and he says, go, you have to remember that this is the God who is sending you. Moses, he says, who am I? Then he says, who are you? Then in, in chapter 4, continuing on in the story, Moses' next excuse is basically all about fear. Um, Exodus 4, uh, oops, let me find it again. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, I love this part of the story. Uh, Moses is just downright scared. Did you know that there are over, yeah, in a survey of 500 people, over 7,000 fears were identified? That's like 14 different fears per person. Um, of course, if you've been around church long enough, you've heard a pastor say, do you know what the most repeated phrase in the Bible is? What is it? Be not afraid. Fear not. 365 times. 365 times, depending on the translation you're looking at. Ironically, one for every day of the year. I just had to say it, right? Um, sometimes in life, we just get scared and we lack trust. Uh, Moses says, God... What if they don't believe me? Or what if they don't listen to what I say? What if, what if, what if? And all this fear starts to come in about what if I get there and I say, this God, I am. I know, it's kind of weird. But he's the guy that sent me and he said I should take all the people out of Israel. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to what I say? And then God answers him in verse 2 and he says, what's in your hand? A staff, he replies. The Lord says, throw it on the ground. Moses throws it on the ground and it became a snake. And he ran from it. And then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reaches out. He took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to you. Okay, 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 back up. If, you're, if you encounter a snake and it's a venomous, like a poisonous one, and you have a crazy idea to pick it up, do you A, pick it up by the head... B, pick it up by the tail, or C, pick it up by the middle of the body. A, you pick it up by the head, right? Everybody knows this, because if it's a snake and it's trying to bite you, if you pick it up by the tail, it'll turn around and it'll, ah, it'll bite you. So if you're going to pick up a snake, you don't do it by the tail. But interestingly enough, Moses throws his staff on the ground, wah, it's a snake, and then God says, pick it up by the tail. At which point, if you're Moses, you've got to be saying, I am? What are you talking about? Everybody knows that you don't pick up snakes by the tail. Surprised you didn't know that. You made them. What is going on in this moment? I think that Moses is learning to trust God. Moses is learning to trust God because trust has a way of alleviating fear, doesn't it? 
Think about something that you're scared of or a relationship that you're scared of. Insert trust into that setting and things begin to change very quickly. Trust alleviates fear. This is why my daughter will jump off the eighth stair because she trusts me. She trusts that she's not going to get hurt and that I'm going to catch her. And what happens the instant she doesn't? One time I had her up on the garage. I think I may have told this story to you. Our garage, now don't freak out. Don't call Parent Child Protective Services. Our, our garage is like, you know, a, a sh- short garage. I could touch it. And then our deck is even up a little further. So I put Hadley up on the garage and I said, okay, jump. And she just loved it. So she jumps and I catch her. And then she's like, I want to do it again. I want to do it again. And for whatever reason, between jump one and jump two, Fear entered the equation, and she gets up on top of the garage, and I cannot get her to come down. She's like a cat on a roof. I can't get her to jump because she's scared, because I might fall. Uh, Dad might drop me. Whatever the reason is, what is it about God that you don't trust? If God says go, and we hesitate, I want to ask the question tonight, what is it about God that you don't trust which shows up in fear when he says go? Moses moves on in verse 10 of chapter 4. And now he kind of gets to, you know, his own physical limitations. He says, Moses says to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in speech or neither in the past. Uh, I'm sorry, let me start over. O Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. So he goes full circle. He starts with, you know, who am I? Then he says, who are you? And then he says, I I can't do it. I I can't speak. So (laughs) this gives me great hope because I think Moses is just like most of us. Uh, (laughs) In response to God saying go, Moses says, I can't speak. I can't do this. When I was a kid, uh, I was, uh, I think I was five years old. And I had this thing, it was called leg perthes disease, which is basically like, your, your hip sockets have like ball and, you know, ball and socket kind of a thing. And one of the little guys didn't grow right. And so it was like, and could come out. And that's not a good thing. So uh, when they found this out, they took me to the doctor and they put this brace on me. And for like, I don't, I think it was almost a year. I had this brace that like made my legs go like this. And it had a metal bar that went across it. Can you imagine this? Like, Early, early, like, childhood, like, first memories. I remember being at school. It was either preschool or kindergarten. And I'm the kid that walks in like this. You know, like, hey, who's the goon over here with the metal thing between his legs? Uh, it was, and I, I got ridiculed for this thing. I got, uh, people would make fun of me or whatever. But I, and I'm not sure why. You know, my mom looks back on this story with fondness. I look back on it with terror because, you know, I didn't really appreciate it. But for whatever reason, like, I just, I just did everything that I would have done anyways. So the monkey bars, the playground, and I, you know, I thought, hey, cool, I've got, like, another apparatus that I can use on the playground. I would, like, slide down poles on the metal thing, like, shoo, you know, down the deal. And for whatever reason, uh, this thing just didn't stop me. But <laughs> I, I think about this, this moment in my life, you know, and... I'm breaking stuff up here. Uh, for whatever reason, this, this brace, uh, it didn't stop me, and I just kind of did whatever I wanted to do despite it. Uh, the, a lot of us have things that limit us. For Moses, it was his speech. 
For some of you, I'm guessing it was it, it could be any number of things. Maybe it's fear of public speaking. Maybe it's uh, you're not good at some task or you're not good at some skill that you think you have to be good at. And I love what Paul says in the New Testament when he says, I rejoice in my weakness, for in it the power of Christ is manifest. Like, God is shown in, in, in my weakness. And so I rejoice in it. I thank God for it because in that moment when I recognize it, then God is seen more clearly. And for Moses, he says, hey, God, I can't speak very well. And yet, and, and is convinced that this should disqualify him for whatever it is that God's asking him to do. And I wonder... If, if you're on the other end of that, if you're God, uh, you know, wherever God exists, how it feels when we come back to him and say, I can't go, I can't do what you're asking me to do because of this, this, or this, because of this limitation or this weakness or this whatever it is. Because I think God is longing to show himself in the midst of our weakness and in the midst of our inability to do it or inability to measure up. And God says, go. And we say, oh, but I can't do this or I can't do that. Moses' last excuse, and this is at the point when, when if, if I'm God, man, he's going to get it. Verse 13, Moses says, oh, Lord, please send somebody else to do it. So he goes through all of his excuses, and God gives him a reply for each one of them. And then finally Moses is just like, okay, fine, I don't have any more excuses, but God, send somebody else to do it. I've... Uh, and at this point, again, if I'm God, I, I've, I've got to be up there going, dude, that's it. I've had it with you. I'm done. Uh, there have been moments with our kids where <laughs> after a long day, uh, you know, whether it's working or, or playing or doing whatever, and it's like you just want them to go to bed. Just, just quiet. Just peace and quiet. That's all we're asking for. And, and they just will not go to bed. And we're in one of those seasons right now. It takes like an hour and a half to get them to go to bed. And there are moments when I just slam the door shut on their bedroom. I'm like, that is it. I have had it with you. I am done with you for the day. I don't want to see you anymore. I don't want to hear you anymore. Go to bed. Anybody ever been there as a parent? All right. Thank you. And if God had done that with Moses, I think he would be totally within reason. But he doesn't. It says in, this, in, the, in, the, in the story that like, God's anger burned, like he got really upset. But then God's response to Moses is, dude, probably not dude, but Moses, what about your brother, Aaron? He could speak for you. In the middle of all of Moses' excuses as to why he can't or shouldn't or won't go, God doesn't say, all right, I'm done with you. But he says, in grace, how about your brother? Maybe Aaron could speak for you since you have a hard time speaking so much. In that moment, we see God's grace and his mercy. And just when, when we think we deserve, that's it, I'm done with you, that's not his response. It's grace. Moses, for God, is the guy he's asking to go says, Moses, go to Egypt, get my people out of there. I'm asking you to do this. I'm asking you to go, and I'm calling you. And so as we wrestle uh, with how do we hear God and listening to God and pressing into hearing God's voice, I'm guessing that there may be all kinds of excuses for you. Some of you may be teetering on the edge of, do we, do we go and step out in faith and 
start this thing called Awaken. There's so much at stake. There's so much to lose. There's so much to risk. For some of you, it's maybe God's calling you to stay right where you are and to be Jesus in your neighborhood, to your neighbors. And that scares you to death. Maybe for some of you, God's asking you to step out in faith into something you don't even know exists yet. And so it's fear of the unknown. But I'm convinced over these next couple weeks that if we listen, if we press in and say, God, where would you have me? Where are you calling me to be? That he'll answer. And it will require something of you. It will require you to risk. It will require you to step out in faith, whichever direction it ends up being. And so I guess I would just ask you tonight, is there one of these inadequacy as a person? Who are you, God? I don't, I don't really even know who you are. Or I'm scared. What will they say? Uh, God, what about these weaknesses or these limitations? Or you know what, God? I just don't want to do it. Send somebody else. Is there one or maybe two of those that you go, I feel that. I can relate to that. Uh, let, me, let me close in prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Uh, we're going to close in a couple of songs. But as they do, if you would, just bow your head, close your eyes, whatever it is you need to do to think and ponder. And I would just ask you to sit with this question. If God's asking you to go, what is the first response? How do you react? And What does that mean? Where, where, where do you find your heart in the midst of this? Because for Moses, he gave plenty of excuses as to why he shouldn't go or God should choose somebody else. And yet God said to you, Moses, I'm asking you, would you go? So, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, as we uh, press into this uh, challenging uh, and sometimes difficult space of listening to you I pray that you would be with me and my friends that you would meet us in the midst of that tension and God I pray that you would be clear that you would be without a doubt that we would know where it is and and to what you're calling us to and God by your spirit would you empower us to do that would you empower us to take steps of faith to whatever it is that you're calling us into. We're grateful for who you are, that it's grace that we receive and not condemnation. Even when we falter, when we stumble, when we say, God, I just don't want to do it. Thank you for your mercy and your love. Pray that you would meet us in the midst of wherever we are tonight, God.